Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It took me, I don't know, probably five years to get an in-person sit-down with the late Paul Allen, former Trailblazer and Seahawk owner. So one of the things that had been rumored for months was that he was going to buy this European soccer club. And so I, I was like, I'm going to ask him about that. I didn't really know that he was a soccer fan. I knew he was an avid basketball and football fan, but had no idea that he liked soccer. And on this month of speculation, the stock price for the soccer club had increased. Well, he came on Sports Business Radio and he said, I only like to own teams that are within a flight, a short flight from where I live in Bellevue. So I have no interest in owning the soccer club. The stock price tanked right after he was on Sports Business Radio because this was the first time anyone heard from him personally about whether or not he liked soccer, whether he wanted to own a club. And I thought, wow, that's the first time that we've literally affected the stock price with what someone on Sports Business Radio said. That was Brian Berger. He's a PR professional. He's the host of Sports Business Radio. And he's today's guest. Welcome to Dan Dickow's Quarantine Series on the Scorebook Live Today podcast. As a world of sports is shut down due to the coronavirus, we're ramping things up a notch here at Scorebook Live. Every weekday, Dan interviews an expert in the world of sports, from star hoopers and coaches like Steve Kerr, Jamal Crawford, and Doug Christie, to seven-time Mr. Olympia bodybuilder Phil Heath. We hope you're entertained and maybe learn a thing or two as we navigate these uncertain times. The easiest way to tune in is by subscribing. In addition to our weekly Washington High School Sports News and Conversation podcast released Thursdays, hosted by myself, Andy Bueller, fellow reporter Todd Millis, Dan is bringing you interviews just like this one delivered five days a week. Head to wherever you get your podcast, subscribe for free, and while you're there, leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. Before we get to Dan's interview today, a word from our sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by Washington Federal. Washington Federal is a local bank and portfolio lender with more than 200 branches across eight states, more than 32,000 fee-free ATMs, 24-7 online and mobile banking with drive-up ATMs. And Washington Federal is a proud sponsor of Scorebook Live. They care deeply about high school sports and the communities that support them across the entire state of Washington. Head to wfdbank.com to learn how they can help you meet your financial goals. That's wafdbank.com. Washington Federal, a neighbor you can count on. We hope everybody's staying safe and healthy. We're just as excited for high school sports to return as you are. Now, Dan Dickow. Dan Dickow, Scorebook Live, Washington, today during our quarantine series. Typically, once a week, a podcast is released, but in these uncertain times and our nation and the world, I have been bringing a conversation with an expert in the field of sports with you, to you. It could be a coach, an athlete, a front office executive. Today, we've got a unique and talented guest who's going to share some nuggets on how to get into the world of sports and how to be unique in the world of sports. Brian Berger, he's been with the Sports Business Radio, an award-winning podcast for over 15 years. Brian, down in the Portland area, thanks for joining. How has life 
with you and your family these days? It's unique, Dan, but uh, thanks for having me. It's good to reconnect with you. And uh, yeah, very unique times that we're in right now. Yeah, these, uh, these are unique times and it's making a lot of people get creative with how they do their job, uh, what they view as important for their job, uh, and then seeing how people kind of put a game plan together and, and attack that game plan. Uh, you are no different. Uh, as I mentioned, you've got an award-winning podcast. The first time we came in, in, in touch was when I was living in the Portland area and you were running your sports business radio show. It's a nationally syndicated show. Tell us a little bit about uh, that show and the focus that you have with that show. Yeah, so 16 years ago, uh, a lot of my friends, people like you who are smarter, want a little bit more of a higher level of conversation, and everyone kept saying, we're lacking that right now. And then I had worked for the Portland Trailblazers, so I knew owners and athletes and agents and coaches, and I thought, let's hear from the people living and breathing the sports world. You know, not so much the people covering the sports world. Let's go directly to the source. And, and I had that ability to bring those conversations. So Sports Business Radio is born. My first guest was my friend and, and late NBA commissioner, David Stern. He was uh, gracious enough to get us started on the right foot. When you start with David Stern as your first guest, that's a pretty good bar to set. Um, he was tremendous. And, and, you know, 16 years later, we're just trying to bring unique conversations from people on the front lines of the sport industry. I feel like I get to tap into the minds of genius all the time, whether it's Jack Nicholas or Mark Cuban or Chris Everett or, you know, someone like this week, John Smoltz, people at the top of their craft. And we get to bring, you know, those master classes to the masses. And, and that's been fun for me to sit in that chair. It's got to be fun to sit in that chair and ask them questions not necessarily related to an event or a game that just happened, but bigger picture stuff, how they got into what they they became successful at, what drives them, the passion that they have. You mentioned the interview with David Stern and how that kind of kick-started everything that you were doing. Is there another interview or two that you can remember over the last 15 years or so that you finished up and you were like, I didn't know that about that person. That was something that you, you, you really took something from and was just blown away by what they talked about. Yeah, I mean, I, I think a lot of the interviews, we learned something that we didn't know. I'm trying to think of, you know, something. I guess I'll, I'll give you an example. So I worked for many years for the Blazers, but it took me – I don't know, probably five years to get an in-person sit-down with the late Paul Allen, former Trailblazer and Seahawk owner. So one of the things that had been rumored for months was that he was going to buy this European soccer club. And so I, I was like, I'm going to ask him about that. I didn't really know that he was a soccer fan. I knew he was an avid basketball and football fan, but had no idea that he liked soccer. And on this months of speculation, the stock price for the soccer club had increased. Well, he came on Sports Business Radio and he said, I only like to own teams that are within a flight, a short flight from where I live in Bellevue. So I have no interest in owning the soccer club. The stock price tanked right after he was on Sports Business Radio. 
because this was the first time anyone heard from him personally about whether or not he liked soccer, whether he wanted to own a club. And I thought, wow, that's the first time that we've literally affected the stock price with what someone on Sports Business Radio said. So, you know, that was interesting. Um, you know, obviously his love of uh, space and sea exploration, like what you find out in these conversations, is the, most people are so much more than what the mainstream media covers them as. So it's fun to bring out those different sides. Uh, Andre Iguodala. So here we are conducting a conversation on Zoom. Did you know that Andre Iguodala is one of the founding investors and partners of Zoom? I just so he, read that a couple days ago. That, that's yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, uh, pretty good investment, but he's come on my show and I've been to his uh, events in San Francisco, his uh, tech summit events. And, you know, most people watch Andre Iguodala and they go, wow, great basketball player, champion basketball player, but they have no idea how tied into the tech world he is, what a business leader he is, how he brings other athletes together at his summit every year. So there's a lot of those types of stories. You mentioned Andre Iguodala, and, and very few people will get to the level of athletics that somebody like him has, has risen to. That doesn't mean that people still can't get involved in the world of sports. Um, there are so many jobs in sports these days. What would your advice be to a, a young student athlete in high school or college that isn't going to make it as a professional athlete, but they want to be involved in the world of sports? So the first thing I would say is as much as you can try and be hyper-focused on what area of sports that you want to work in. Is it analytics? Is it media? Is it coaching? Is it management? And, and when you can figure that out, then go as hyper-focused as you can on hitting that target, networking with people, doing internships. I started my career with the Blazers as an intern. So I interned for them for a year, hoping to parlay it into a full-time job, which I did. But once you're inside an organization, you kind of get to look around a little bit. And sometimes you'll go into an organization and say, you know, I wanted to do analytics, but now that I'm inside this organization, I really want to do this over here after experiencing that. Um, and sometimes you'll be inside an organization and go, wow, this is really dysfunctional. This isn't what I thought it would be. I don't want to work for this organization or in this department. So internships, I think, are a great way to start. Unfortunately, there's a lot of people now, young people, who, who want the instant gratification, and they're not willing to grind and put in the work that's needed. It, everyone wants to work in sports. That's what I tell people all the time. It is the candy store of life. There's a lot of fun times, but it's also a grind. And because a lot of people want to work in sports, it's very competitive and you've got to do something that separates you from everyone else. And if you can solve a problem, if you can fill a void, you're going to find a job. If you can't do those things, then you're really going to have to grind and, and stand out amongst the group. I would agree that so many times it's, it's the network of a relationship that maybe gets you in the door, but then it's the ability to solve problems and work, uh, work extremely hard to have success and longevity in, in a career, especially in sports where there's so, so much competition. You've interviewed owners, general managers, presidents of organizations in all different sports. What separates a really good organization 
from a poorly run organization? Alignment. And there's alignment from ownership to GM or brain trust to coaching to players. And everyone's on the same page. So many organizations that are stuck in losing or mediocrity, there's no alignment. And they change coaches and they change GMs and they trade players. But, you know, there's the old saying, a, fit, a fish rots from the head down, right? Ownership is the one constant. And if you're good ownership, you entrust the people, you hire the people at those lower levels, basketball operations or football operations, you hire the right coaches and you have the right players. Everyone has to be in alignment. And if you don't have that, then you're going to struggle with losing for a while. I couldn't agree more. The, I, I was traded multiple times in yeah. my career, more times than I can count on, the, on my two hands really quickly. And I saw good organizations and I saw bad organizations. Uh, and I think that's so true that you put people in the role that they're going to be successful at, empower them to do that role great, and kind of just get out of the way. Um, don't don't over, look over their shoulder time and time again. You mentioned Mark Cuban. You talked with, you've talked with him on a number of occasions. Do you find yourself watching a show, if you do watch it, like Shark Tank, and thinking that the same – personality traits that are, are, are making him make tough decisions on that show are exactly what he does with the Dallas Mavericks? I do. Yeah, and I do watch Shark Tank. I've watched it for 11 years now since it started. My daughter watches it, and, you know, because I'm an entrepreneur and she's grown up in an entrepreneurial household, it's a fun show for us to watch. But, yeah, I think Mark Cuban is consistent, whether you follow him on Shark Tank whether you watch him with what he does with the Mavericks or you follow him on social media where he's been very vocal, especially since COVID hit with solutions. You know, he's not Monday morning quarterbacking things. He is saying, Hey, here's a bank that is helping people or here's a solution to this. He's someone who's used to solving problems on a day in day out basis, whether that's basketball, business, whatever it may be. And uh, I think he's consistent. And I think, you know, there's a little luck involved too, right? So, you know, they have Dirk play for them for, what, 21 seasons. And then lo and behold, they identified Luka Doncic as the heir apparent to Dirk. I love when organizations go all in on a player. So in that draft, a lot of people thought, wow, they're trading two first-round picks to move up to get Luka. But when you have your player – you go all in and you get your player. And because the Mavericks are so good at scouting internationally, they knew exactly what Luka Doncic was. There were no surprises for them. So they went all in on him. And now he looks primed to be the next Dirk who could be with that franchise for 20 years. Other than San Antonio going from David Robinson to Tim Duncan, how many franchises can you think of that had that kind of back-to-back longevity of a face of the franchise there's a lot of luck with that like you have to find someone who will make a trade with you but there's also hard work that went into saying we know that Luca is the guy that is going to be the face of our franchise for the next 20 years I love how you shared about 
when you buy in and you're all in, just go for it. That's a great example of, of the Dallas Mavericks doing that. One other thing I wanted to touch on with you was an event that you've put together. Um, I had a chance to, to go kind of be a part of it one year down in San Francisco when you held it about two or three years ago. It's one of the most unique conferences that I've ever been to. And hopefully I get a chance and I'll go back and, and attend it again at some point. But it's called the Sports PR Summit. Um, you bring experts in the world of sports marketing um, to give essentially chalk talks. Um, how did that idea come about? Um, and, and where is that headed? Is that something that um, you are looking to currently expand on? So I used to work for the Blazers. I would go to the NBA league meetings every year. And you meet with all the other teams in the NBA, you trade best practices. But I came away from there going, what if I want to talk to someone from the NFL or Major League Baseball or Nike or Octagon? Like there was nothing that truly brought the sports world together across all sports and leagues, teams, brands. And then the other thing is I have friends in the media and I have lots of athlete friends. And the athletes and the media would complain about, about PR people all the time. Oh, they don't give me the access I need or the media person's writing an irresponsible story. And I said, y'all gripe about each other all the time, but have you ever come together and like really talked about how you could work more effectively with each other? So out of that sports PR summit was born. And I will tell you, you know, I'm based in Portland, Oregon and a lot of people eight years ago told me, well, Brian, you're not a known entity in New York. You're not one of the big PR firms. How are you going to bring this group of people together, especially when you're running this from the other side of the country? Well, as a good entrepreneur, I love challenges. I love when people doubt me. I played sports not nearly at the level that you did, Dan, but I love when people doubt me and tell me I can't do something. So I put the chip right on my shoulder. And I said, watch. And, you know, eight years later, I've been on stage with Adam Silver, David Stern, Gary Batman, Stephen Ross, who owns the Miami Dolphins. We've had Michael Vick at our event talk about how he was once a $200 million athlete and then went down to a negative $120 in his bank account and went to prison and how he came out of that. Um, it's an invite-only event. There's no media there other than the media in the room sharing their stories like Tom Rinaldi or Jeremy Schaap or John Wartime, Jamel Hill. So people are encouraged to speak candidly on stage. So I feel like we get the real at our event and the secret sauce, whether it's how did Adam Silver handle the Donald Sterling situation or how did the NFL handle some of the domestic violence situations that they've had. Um, and then everyone leaves the event a, I met a few people I didn't know before in person, which I think in person matters. And they leave with some tangible takeaways that they can take back to their organization as best practices. So I love it. You know, I go to a lot of events and there's a thousand people in the room when you walk in and you're kind of overwhelmed and you don't feel very special. I think everyone at our event feels special because there's only 125 people in the room. It's all senior people. You don't have to worry about getting hit up for a job. But we've pivoted right now. So we were supposed to be in New York May 19th. We've pivoted to Sports PR Summit online, like a lot of people are doing. Um, on Friday, we had Scott Van Pelt on our platform 
talking about how he's pivoted to things like Senior Night on SportsCenter, which I think has been great. Um, we've had the heads of PR from the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Arizona Diamondbacks on. People right now are looking for answers and best practices and solutions. So the more we can bring those conversations today instead of, hey, let's wait till the next time we can get together in person because who knows when that will be. We're trying to do that on our Sports PR Summit online platform. So, you know, Dan, when it comes down to it, I think you're the same way. We're connectors. We swim in interesting waters. We're able to bring people together for unique, insightful conversations and be a sports business radio and sports PR summit. That's what I'm trying to do. Yeah, that's, that's great. I, like I said, I was at a, a summit a few years back and it was a phenomenal experience. Hopefully I can make it back again at some point of our Scorebook Live team. Last question before I let you go, because you've been in the world of, of sports business for, for quite some time. Watching The Last Dance has, has brought back memories for me as a kid. It's been uh, awesome to share kind of what I grew up watching with my, my boys now. One thing, though, that tied in The Last Dance to the business side was in an episode that aired recently that just absolutely blew me away. And I just want your t take on this. So Nike was hoping to make $3 million on the Air Jordan line in year one. They blew that out of the water and made $126 million, I believe it was, in the first year. Have you ever heard of a success story like that? No, I think it's the greatest success story for a brand ever. And it's also the greatest miss by Adidas ever because, you know, Jordan wore Adidas shoes when he was in college, when he was growing up. He, he, his affinity, his brand loyalty was to Adidas. They wouldn't even make him an offer, and they said, we don't have budget for a signature shoe. Nike, on the other hand, said, yeah, we'll pay you, and you'll have your own shoe. And, and I don't think anyone ever knew what it would become. And I've had David Falk and Tinker Hatfield from Nike on Sports Business Radio. And you know, to this day, most people don't know this. So Michael Jordan hasn't played since, I think, 2003. He sells more shoes regularly every year than LeBron, Kobe, and KD combined. So think about that for a minute. He hasn't played since 2003, and he sells more shoes than the top stars in the NBA today combined. So huge miss by everyone else. The other thing that uh, David Falk told me that really broke the mold is a lot of athletes do shoe deals, and it's just like, hey, you can have your own shoe. We'll pay you this. Michael Jordan is literally a partner in the Jordan brand. He selects the athletes that are going to wear that shoe. He gets a piece of the company. So it's not just like, we'll pay you this every year. He has incentive for that company to do better with shoe sales and merchandise because he's a part owner of the company. Other than Tiger Woods with Nike Golf, I've never heard of that sort of a setup where the athlete actually owned a piece of the company. And then the last thing I'll tell you is this, this might be the first, the greatest first month ever at a job. So I started for the Blazers in 1992. The first month I'm going to Chicago for the NBA finals where they play Michael Jordan and, and they lost. I get to work the NBA draft, which was in Portland and held outside of New York for the first time. It was the Shaquille O'Neal number one pick draft. And then dream team one, 
played in the basketball tournament of the Americas in Portland. And I got to work around Dream Team for about two weeks. So I saw a lot of Michael Jordan in those, you know, in that month. But I look back now and I'm like, oh my God, those are three events that any one of those three would have been a highlight of, of my career working those. I worked those three events in the first month of my career. Wow. <laughs> How do you top that? Well, I don't know if you can top it, but I will say this uh, before I let you go is you took the, that first month, those three great events, and you've built a tremendous career out of it. Uh, I've listened to your radio show many times, especially living in the Portland area, and I, I look forward to being uh, back at a sports PR sometime uh, in the near future. So, Brian... I appreciate you joining. Uh, I wish you and your family nothing but the best, staying healthy. And uh, unfortunately, a lot of people are staying at home, but that's sometimes where the most creativity comes. And I'm sure you are going to put your creative hat on and come up with a lot of new and unique things to share with the sports business world. Well, Dan, thanks for having me on. I have a lot of respect. Dan, thanks so much for having me. You stay safe too. And uh, I hope to see you at a sports PR summit event soon. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.